So I'm in Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes to Jerusalem, to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before it, shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth, in his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe this ge his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and be beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. And when he came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his, re on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and passed through he preached the gospel to the towns until he came to Saracen. Thank you, brother. Yep. Wow, that was a pretty exciting video. These testimonies are awesome. If you want to give your testimony, you want to encourage other people with what God has done in your life, we would love to have you do that. And uh, just see one of us on staff, and we will make sure that we can uh, get a testimony video of you as well. That would be fantastic. So th thank you, David, for uh, doing that. And uh, Matthew is not a terrible pastor, always. And um, <laughs> no, not at all. He's awesome. All right, I'm kind of like spitballing here for a minute because I forgot to get my notes up to the screen media. You got them now? You're good? Yeah, all right, good. All right, so you know what? Here's what's in our own little town on Route 611 going north out of Easton. A signpost that you're going to see on screen, and it's all about this little boy born April 20th, 1718 in Haddam, Connecticut. And he would grow up to serve the Lord in all places, Easton, right along the Delaware River. And that boy was David Brainerd, and his parents, I mean, listen to this, his parents both died when he was 14 years old. Even more profoundly, he committed himself to a life of ministry before he even became a believer. You don't hear that very often. That's pretty amazing. He was saved during the Great Awakening that swept the eastern seaboard all the way from New England down to the south. Uh, he was a student at Yale University. He rose to the, literally the top of the class academically. But he was expelled for speaking out against his professor's lack of spiritual zeal. This is David Brainerd. 
He soon realized that God was calling him not to pastor a church, but to take the good news of Jesus Christ to Native Americans all along the Delaware River. Despite suffering from constant deep depression, how many of you have ever suffered depression? You don't need to raise your hand, but you can if you want. I have twice profoundly in my life. He suffered deep depression his entire life. He also suffered from tuberculosis. Even with these struggles, he doggedly poured out his life with single-minded devotion and commitment. Here's one of the things that he is known for writing. Here's what he said. Here I am, Lord, send me. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough The savage pagans of the wilderness send me from all that is called comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in thy service and to promote thy kingdom. David Brainerd died at age 29. But in those short years that he devoted himself to Christian ministry, to Jesus Christ, he profoundly impacted several tribes of Native Americans. The Lenape Indians are one of them. And in some ways, Brainerd's life takes us back to the life of Philip, the church's first missionary, all the way back to Acts 8.26, where David just read. And I want to show you today the heart of a Christian that God will greatly use. Now let me set this up just momentarily. I need everybody's attention. You may be a Christian for 40 years. Your conversion, the day that Christ told you to arise and live, maybe that was 40 years ago. Maybe for some of you it was 30 years ago. Maybe five years ago, maybe yesterday. Listen, when God bid you come, you came. Your eyes were opened. And you beheld the glory of Jesus Christ. And in that very moment, he has already given you everything you need to be a witness of him. You know what a witness is? It's someone who just simply tells what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced. Every Christian is a witness. And there are a lot of ways to be able to talk to somebody about Jesus. There's a lot of approaches that you can use. And we're not going to really look at a particular approach that Philip does with this Ethiopian eunuch. We're actually going to look at the heart of Philip. We're going to look at the heart of someone whom God greatly used. And I want to ask you, and you should ask me, is that same heart in us? Let's take this seriously. And let's put our hearts up against the text. And let's let it encourage us. And if this is not your heart yet, Christian, it can become your heart by grace. Let's pray for that. What is the heart of a person that God will greatly use? Let's get our Bibles open if you haven't done it yet. It is uber important, ultra important. You've got to get your Bibles open. You've got to be reading along. Uh, Even if you're a Christian that knows the Bible cold. You really still need to be looking at the Word of God. Let's make sure that what God says is what God is breathing into us, all right? So let's do that even right now. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Here's what it says. 
Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Here's the first heart characteristic of someone that God will greatly use. Philip was an obedient Christian. He also didn't have a cell phone. It's amazing what Philip could actually get done without a cell phone. I'm, you know, I, somebody asked me, I got to say this, somebody asked me, why don't you get more angry when a phone goes off? Well, I don't want to tell you what's happening internally to me, but um, I know one of these days I'm going to be preaching and my phone's going to go off. And so I want to do unto others as I hope you do unto me in that moment. So throw your stupid phone away. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. God will greatly use not an abusive pastor, but an obedient Christian. Now, things have been going on really well for Philip, right? He's in Samaria. You know the story. We've been covering it the last couple weeks. And people were getting saved by the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And one would think, somebody's got to think, that Philip, his time there had just begun. I mean, there's thousands of Samaritans. There's a lot more villages, a lot more towns. So maybe you're asking the question, why mess with a good thing? Why is God calling Philip out of Samaria to go back down below Jerusalem to a single person that lives 1,500 miles away? God's ways are not our ways, friends. And though they don't always make sense from our perspectives, they always make sense to his. So an angel appeared to Philip. And he told them, leave Samaria and go to a person of Ethiopia. Now, I'm going to caution you for a moment. God's going to call you to do some things that aren't going to make sense. Sometimes God's going to call you to do some things that are going to be very difficult. Including, perhaps, sever a relationship that is not influencing you well. Or take a different job, even though this one's going really well. Or go talk to a person that you know is going to reject you. God's going to ask you to do things at times that are not going to make sense. Now it would be an issue of obedience. Will you do it? An angel appears to Philip in the midst of a very robust, very successful, very fruitful ministry in Samaria and says, I want you to rise up. It's time to leave here. I want you to go down below Jerusalem. Now, angels, the Bible says, are ministering spirits sent out to serve. Listen to this. Have you ever noticed this? For the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. We've got an individual from Ethiopia who is about to inherit salvation, and we've got someone who already has, Philip, and the angel comes to Philip to speak to him. And angels serve God, listen, for our sake. And while they certainly can appear and speak, if God wills, they do not often do that. Why? I think, in my view, it's because we tend to worship them. 
An angel told Philip to go south. That word in the Greek, remember the New Testament translated mostly from Greek, a little bit of Aramaic. So our English translations, you've got to know if you really want to study the Word of God, you've got to get a little bit deeper to the Greek. There's all kinds of resources on the internet that can help you do that. A little fun fact, freebie, Precept Austin. Write it down if you want. It's one of the best sites on the internet to be able to get a lot more in-depth precept Austin. That word south in the English, it actually means noon, or it actually means high noon in the Greek. So we got a really odd command because people really don't travel in that region or in that culture at noon. It's too hot. The heat of the day, they stop traveling in the middle of the day. And we've got even more of an odd command because there's two roads that go from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is three miles from the Mediterranean coast. And one of those roads is the really well-traveled road and very well-maintained road called the King's Highway. This is not the road that God tells Philip to go to. This is a lesser-traveled road. It's a desert place. So here's what the angel says. Philip, get to that road that is less-traveled from Jerusalem to Gaza and be there at noon. And he gives him no other information. Would you have gone? All right, now listen, you got to get into the story. This is not some superhuman individual. Philip is a man like me, a human like all of us. And God asks him to do something that is bizarre in every way you look at it. And Philip now is, is faced with, will I obey? Well, God will greatly use an obedient Christian. But I need to say something here just by proxy of all the really odd, dangerous, bizarre things I've seen in almost 30 years of ministry. I've had people tell me that God told them to do certain things, sometimes terrible things. One person said that God told him to defecate in public. He ended in a uh, mental hospital. Another that God told him to murder someone. In fact, he was on his way to murder someone when his car got in an accident. And he came to the hospital of which I was a mental health counselor at. This is back in Virginia. Another told me that God said to leave his wife and marry another woman. And all of these examples ended terribly. One insisted that God spoke to him through a chirping squirrel. Many have told me that God has spoken to them through dreams. God does speak today. Now listen. Always clearly. And always in accordance with both his word and his character. If you are hearing God say to you, something that is in dissonance or that is not equal to his character or his word, that is not God speaking to you. His clearest, sweetest voice will be in the word of God. That's why we must be students of the word of God. It won't be through a dream. It won't be through a vision or a circumstance. He may use those, but his clearest, sweetest voice will be the word. And if you have a dream or if you have a vision that you think is from God, let me tell you what God himself will do. He will lead you to a person that can explain it and show how it's consistent with his word and his character. 
He does not speak in vague fortune cookie ways, but clearly and always for divine purposes. You've got to be careful if you feel you're hearing God speak. Jesus said earlier, and Philip knew it, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Odd or not, to the south at noon, Gaza he would go to. Why? Because it's consistent with what Jesus had already said. And we pick it up in verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace. That's not actually her name, that's her title. She's a queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. I have had in my life strong impressions that God has laid heavily on me. To go up and talk to people that I do not know and tell them about Jesus. And they have more often been fruitful than not. But I tell you what, it is a fearful, anxiety-filled moment before my legs start to move. As soon as I get moving, I'm fine. But it's almost you're paralyzed to the spot. Ethiopia, as I mentioned, was 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem. It's the modern country of Sudan, not the modern country of Ethiopia in Africa. And where Philip formally, now you hear this, I hope you hear this, where he formally crossed racial lines to bring the gospel to the Samaritans, now he's crossing racial lines again, and he's bringing the good news of Jesus to a black man from Africa. And the man was a eunuch, meaning he is a castrated male, either surgically castrated or born defective by birth. That was redundant. But he is now the court official for the queen. He had risen to the rank of the minister of finance, charge of all of her treasury. He's wealthy. You know how he's wealthy? He possesses a scroll of Isaiah. They did not have Bibles then like we have Bibles now. The cost of parchment was so expensive that they actually would use ink that did not have acid so that you could wipe it away and reuse the parchment. So it was a very, very expensive purchase. He bought a scroll of Isaiah and he's reading it in the chariot. And the Spirit of God said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. You realize, do you not, the Jewish men almost never ran. It was undignified. But there is an urgency for Philip. And Christian, if you never have the opportunity to lead people to Jesus, then I want you to answer this question. Are you going to, are you going to spiritually lost people or are you waiting for the spiritually lost to come to you? If you're waiting for them to come to you, I'm going to tell you you're probably going to die never having led anybody to Jesus. It's not the direction the Bible tells us to go. We are the sent ones. We go to those who need the good news of Jesus. And when God directs you to do that, now it's a matter of obedience. 
You know, I want to encourage you that we are not actually told, some of you are going to have to really scratch your head and wonder if this is correct, but we're not really told to witness to every person that we meet. But we are to witness to everyone the Spirit of God directs us to. And the fruit of our efforts will be seen only if we have an obedient heart. And how will you know if the Spirit of God is leading you, directing you to witness? You will need to know if, or you will rather know, if you are a man or a woman of prayer. So God will greatly use an obedient Christian. But secondly, God will greatly use a Bible-studying Christian. This is my... You know what? I find that I am reducing expectations the longer that I'm a pastor. I wonder if that's bad. I used to have all of these really, really pie-in-the-sky dreams and aspirations, and they are slowly coming down less and less. And what I think will survive to the end of my days is that I can just encourage every Christian that I pastor, will you please Love and know the word of God. You just won't be used by God if you don't start studying. If you're doing five minutes every morning, then you're a Christianette. You're going to have such little fruit in your life. The more you know the word of God, listen, the more you're going to love Jesus. And the more you love Jesus, the more he's going to use you. And the more that he uses you, the greater fruit that's going to come out of your life. And the more fruit you got coming out of your life, the more joy you're going to get living life. It is that simple. And it begins, Christian, with loving and studying and reading the word of God. God will greatly use a Bible-studying Christian. Now, man, I'm calling you out for a moment. This has been true in both churches that I have pastored. Why do our women far outshine the men in the study of God's word? Man, I am so thankful for the ladies in our church. I'm so thankful for Susan Schroeder and her ministry with the women. It's amazing how many hours these ladies are putting into these flourish groups and these Bible studies. And then I routinely go to men, and I talk to a lot of you. And I ask you, tell me about your quiet time. And if you even are having one, which is not that prevalent, it's really not very robust for most of you. And I'm going to tell you, men, we've got to step up and lead. And one of the ways that we lead our ladies and we lead this church is with a love for the Word of God. There are no excuses. There really are no excuses, because what you are passionate about, you pursue with abandon. And you know that's true. God will greatly use a Bible-studying Christian. And he knows better than any who is ready to hear the good news of Jesus. After all, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So God has to draw them. And if God is drawing them, he's going to use one of his children to be a guide, which you're going to see in a moment. Well, if that's true, that God draws people, and God knows better than anybody who needs to hear the good news, it just bears out that we can trust God to direct our steps to that person at the right time. 
So we pay attention with urgency to these spiritual impressions, with sudden desires. Listen, if you ever gotten a sudden desire to share Christ to somebody, you get this burning in you that I need to talk, and there's that fight that goes on inside of you. It's like part of you is afraid to do it. The other part is burning with conviction to speak. Listen, that is the Spirit of God, and that's where obedience will come through, and fruit's going to be on the end of it. The Holy Spirit prompted Philip, and he ran, verse 30, to this eunuch and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch answered, How can I unless someone guides me? That word means to show me the directions, to show me the way. And Christian, I want to help you understand that God draws the spiritually lost. We guide them. God does the drawing. We do the guiding. We do the guiding when God is doing the drawing. If you're not going to guide, but God is drawing, he's going to use somebody else other than you, and you are going to forfeit the blessings that could have been yours. And our job is to guide and show the way to Jesus. And the sure direction you give, here it is, is the word of God. You explain what you know to the one in need. Now let me get you a little bit of relief. You really don't need to be a seminary student to powerfully and effectively explain the gospel. You're not even being asked to do that. You're being asked, as I am, to be a witness. And again, a witness literally means to share what you saw or heard or experienced. And Christian, every one of us have an experience. You just heard David share his. David's never been to seminary, but that was an incredibly clear testimony of Jesus. God will direct you to those who need the knowledge that you possess of the word of God. If Philip could not have explained Isaiah, then God would have used someone else. Haven't you ever wondered, I mean, listen, is anybody wondering why did God take Philip out of Samaria and take him down below Jerusalem to this deserted road for this guy that lives 1,500 miles away when he's got apostles just north of there in Jerusalem. Why did he take Philip? Well, Philip's a Hellenistic Jew. Do you remember that? It means that he is very familiar with the Greek world of culture and language. And he had a good reputation, Philip did, Acts 6. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of wisdom, which is, is the ability to apply God's word to everyday needs and situations. And here's a really interesting thing. Philip spoke Greek. And the text that the Ethiopian eunuch had was the Septuagint. That is the Greek version of the Old Testament. Not everybody then could speak Greek fluently, but Philip could. So God uses Philip. See, if you want God to use you for greater works of evangelism, then friend, I'm just going to say it simply. You've got to know the Word of God. You've got to study. 
You've got to do more than read devotionally. That's one layer. That's awesome. Read it devotionally. Feed and nourish your soul. But you've got to get to the next level. And that's where you dig in. That's where you study and show yourself approved. And the more you study, the more the word of God you know when it ignites in your soul with a hunger for God's word so that it is sweeter than honey and better than gold like it was for David. Then you're going to find God unleashes his power through you to the unsaved all around you. The eunuch invited Philip up into the chariot and read him the scripture passage that he couldn't understand. And here's what Philip didn't say. He didn't say, Mr. Eunuch, I'm just a deacon. I'm not an apostle. Maybe you should talk to one of them. Give the church a call and talk to the pastor. Philip knew that if God directed him to this man, he is the one whom God will use to tell the gospel. And that's exactly what Philip does. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus, leading us to the third point. God will greatly use a gospel-centered Christian. He will greatly use an obedient one, a Bible-loving one, a Bible-studying one, and he will greatly use a gospel-centered Christian. Friends, I've got to tell you, there is no higher privilege in life than to tell someone the good news about Jesus. There just isn't. Listen, you could go home and you could say, man, I really, I've never been to that church called Cornerstone before, and man, I really love that music. And people were friendly. And I actually learned something maybe in the sermon. And I got to go tell somebody about Cornerstone. You know what? That is nothing compared to being, have the priv- being able to have the privilege to tell somebody about Jesus. You got to tell them about Jesus. That's the highest privilege in life. He's the Savior. He's the one who loves us. He's the one that gave his life for us, the one who overcame death and and sin and the devil, the one who paid the price for our freedom and our salvation. Why would you want to tell anybody about anybody else? It's about Jesus. And we see from this passage in Acts 8 what really should encourage all of us. It is God's word that will open the eyes of the spiritually lost to see Jesus Christ. Not our words, but his words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16 says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen, don't wax eloquent about your opinions when you're talking to an unsaved person. You just tell them about the gospel and watch what God will do. The eunuch didn't have a Bible in his hands. Like you and I do today, he had an expensive scroll. It was the book of Isaiah. And his eyes were drawn to a passage. It's in chapter 53. It's all about the suffering Messiah. He could not understand it. And friends, listen, Christians, look at me for a moment. When you are talking to an unsaved person, they do not have the ability to understand the gospel. They might speak about it, but they can't understand it savingly. God must draw them. You must guide them. And the Spirit of God must open their eyes. And God will connect the gospel to a person's deepest struggles 
It present the way to life. I got to tell you about this eunuch. We don't know a lot about him. We never read about him again after this. But he had just been to the temple in Jerusalem. Listen, you know this about eunuchs? He would not have been able to go into the temple. The temple guard, the soldiers that guarded it, would have barred his way. Even if he was a court official, even if he was of the royal court of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, he could not go into the temple. Why? Because of Deuteronomy 23.1. This is the life of the eunuch. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, some of you are shocked that I even said that in church. God said it, I just repeated it. He was not even allowed in the temple. He was barred from it, unfit. Listen, that's the word, unfit, to to stand in God's presence. He was polluted. He was excluded. So it's no accident that he's drawn to Isaiah, which is telling us of the Messiah. Here's what it's saying. Look at verse 32. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter like a lamb before its shearer and silent. So he opens not his mouth. Listen, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. There's something in the eunuch that connected to the gospel. And here's Philip's job of showing him where it was. See, Jesus too would be polluted. Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, took on our sins on that cross. And at noon on Friday, when he was being crucified, he cries out, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, I'll tell you why God forsaken, because All of your sins and my sins were taken and poured out on him. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He was a sin bearer so bad that the father for the first time in eternity had to turn his face away from his son. You think the eunuch could hear that? The gospel of Jesus makes a way for every believing sinner to be saved. And I can hear Philip guiding this man to see that Jesus understands you. That pollution and that exclusion from God, friend, it was to bring you to the point of seeing your sinful condition. So that you would turn to him and trust that God made a way for you to get your sin off of you, to give you life forever. I know Philip's saying this. Christian, can you do that? Can you be so full of wisdom that you see the struggles that a spiritually lost person is having? Maybe their father's passed away. Maybe their mother has left their father. Maybe there's a divorce in the family. Maybe somebody close to them has died. Maybe they broke up with their girlfriend or their boyfriend. But can you see the deepest longing of their heart and bring the gospel to bear? Because God can understand all of that. He can empathize and sympathize with our weaknesses, Hebrews says. There's always a way to connect the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to every single sinner. Can you guide people to the good news about Jesus, verse 35, and let the gospel, the power of God for salvation, do its work and bring about life? 
Well, Philip did. And the evidence of this Ethiopian eunuch's salvation was seen in his urgency to be baptized. He wanted to stop. Even right there, he found water. He understood what baptism was for. It's a public identification that my old guilty self was dead and buried with Christ. I've been made new. I'm a new creation because of Jesus. I've been raised with him. Baptize me, Philip. Would you do it right now? You know, I told you I've reduced my expectations, right, down to just a few. I don't have a lot left. I don't even know if that's good or bad, but one of them is that every single person I pass here would understand the beauty and the urgency to study the Word of God. Here's, here's another one. That finally, for the first time in my pastoral career, every single person I pastor would understand it's not okay to refuse to get baptized. I don't get it. I've never understood this. You are in such clear disobedience to Jesus. You are in effect, whether you've ever understood this or not, you truly are saying to God, I'm embarrassed of you. I'm not counting it worthy enough to follow you into baptism because that's exactly what baptism is. It's a public declaration. Jesus saved my life. And I'm going to brag about him for the rest of my life. That's what baptism really is. And it brings a fresh expression of the power of the Spirit of God to your life. You will have a stronger courage after baptism than you ever did before. But there is one more brief lesson, and then we'll be done. Number four, God will greatly use a faithful Christian. He will greatly use a faithful Christian. I told you that he will greatly use an obedient Christian, a Bible-studying Christian, a gospel-centered Christian, and now I'm going to tell you that he will faithfully, faithfully and gratefully use, greatly use a faithful Christian. Look what happens in the rest of the story, verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. Now watch what happens to Philip. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. As incredible as it seems, listen, I've never had this happen in my life, and I would greatly question if any of you said it did with you, but God, through the Spirit, carried Philip away. Translocution. As in, Captain Kirk, beam me up. I have no idea how he did it. But he teleported him over to Azotus along the Mediterranean coast. I know God can do it. I don't know if he scrambled Philip's atoms and then molecularly restructured him at the other end. I have no idea. All I know is I saw the movie. I think it was called The Fly. Was that what it was? Why am I talking about that? Let's get back to the text. <laughs> and what Philip did was worked his way up the coast of Caesarea preaching the gospel the entire way. This is what Philip just couldn't do anything else. Caesarea is where we find him decades later, 30, 40 years later. Now he's hosting the apostle Paul, and Paul's staying with him for many days, and Philip's got four daughters. They're all prophetesses, but he's living with a single-minded focus. Now, having settled into Caesarea, 
And it reminds me once again of David Brainerd, who died at age 29, October 9, 1747. Here's his final journal entry, seven days before his death. Here's what he wrote. My soul was this day, it turned sweetly set on God. I longed to be with him, that I might behold his glory. Oh, that, that his kingdom might come in the world, that they might all love and glorify him for what he is in himself. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. And he died seven days later. 29. That's a pretty short life. But man, did God use him. You know why God used him? I'll tell you exactly why God used him. He was obedient. He studied the Bible. He didn't know how to talk about anything but Jesus, the gospel. And he was faithful and single-minded. With tuberculosis and depression, he would not stop loving and teaching the Native Americans. And God greatly used him. Friends, you're no different from David Brainerd. And you're really no different from Philip. And God can do the same in you. That he did in Brainerd, that he did in Philip, that he did in the Apostle Paul. He could do the same thing he did with you and you that he's done with saints all through history. Will you obey him? Will you love the Bible and study it? Will you tell people about the gospel of Jesus? And will you be faithful in single-minded living? You will be greatly used if that's your life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, thank you so much for these examples for us. Lord, for Philip, for Brainerd, Lord, for thousands of women, thousands of men, thousands of young teens, boys and girls, Lord, that you have used throughout history. And Lord, it's just amazing. The more biographies I read of your saints, the more I'm seeing the same thing. These men and women... We're obedient. They loved your word. They studied it. They fearlessly shared the good news of Jesus Christ to everybody. They didn't, they didn't try using other approaches. They didn't try using their pithy advice. They just simply shared the gospel of Jesus. And they were faithful their whole lives. And Lord, they are up in Hebrews 12, what Hebrews 12 says. They're up in the stadium. They are our witnesses. And they are cheering us on because it's our turn in our generation. Lord, would you let every person in this room, Lord, if there's somebody here that's not a believer, Lord, just open their eyes. Draw them. Let somebody be their guide. And show them Jesus. And Father, for Christians that are here, whether they've been a Christian for decades, months, days, or hours, Lord, it's time to get on mission. It's time for you to send us to people who are spiritually lost. And that may be the very people that are closest to us. Let us be obedient. Let us love your word. Let us talk about Jesus. And let us be faithful. 
We ask for your help in that. In Jesus' name, amen.